From the coast of Lake Itasca to the west coast, so rainy. This is the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. I'm Chalanga. And I'm Dylan. What up, Dylan? Is rainy? Yep. Oh, it's shit. been rainy for the past couple days. All day yesterday it was raining. God is crying because of coronavirus. It, uh, it snowed here yesterday, actually. God's crying because I lost my church job. That's the reality. Yeah. Well, I heard it snowed. Yeah. That's exciting. Just a reminder to everyone, please stay at home. It's no joke. People are dying. It's important. Stay at home. We need to prevent people from dying, and it's working, so keep staying home. Don't go anywhere. Just listen to this podcast over and over and over again. My dad keeps telling me, it's not nearly as bad as people feared. I'm like, that's because we're staying at home. That's because some people are following the rules. Yeah. Flip, if you're listening, stay at home, okay? Do it. Well, he, he does have an essential service. He's a, he's in construction, so ah, well, be safe about it. Be safe. Wear a mask, Dad. Yep. Wash your hands. Wash your clothes once you get home. So I'm in a new room with a kind of an open roof. It's not insulated. Uh-huh. So you might be able to hear the exterior rain. You might be able to hear the pitter patter on the roof. Oh, that would be cool. And it might be a very echoey. I've I apologize to our listeners for that today. This is I had to improvise a teeny tiny bit today. All right. This is good content so far, Dylan. I'm really liking what's happening. Uh <laughs> Let's uh, just get right down to it. Uh, we are in the middle of our top 31 Timberwolves of all time rankings. Ugh. So our last episode was 1 through 10. If you didn't listen to that, go ahead and give it a listen. We talk about our process and how we do things. Uh, if you hated our 1 through 10, you're <laughs> going to be even less riveted by the 11th <laughs> through the 20th greatest Timberwolf of all time. Oh, this process has been really fun. We keep on being like, wait, are, are we doing this right? Did we waste our time? Is this all wrong? But I think uh, the more research we do, the more uh, we come up with reasons to back our picks. So I'm feeling pretty good. What we figured out during this process is our system is smarter than we are. Yep. We just have to keep, we have to trust the system like a great Greg Popovich team. Trust the system. (laughs) All right. So without any further ado, we are going to go on to the 11th greatest Timberwolf of all time. This player is, came over from uh, our KG trade with Boston. He was the prize of the package, along with other names like Ryan Gomes, Sebastian Telfair, Gerald Green, Theo Ratliff, all incredible, incredible Timberwolves. Uh, this player is Al Jefferson. Yeah. Big Al. Looking back at that trade, let's just say that we didn't have David Kahn as our GM, and mm-hmm. we had someone who was semi-competent. That trade in a vacuum is not that bad. We would have gotten a top five pick, a top six pick, I should say, the sixth pick in the 2009 draft. And we would have, well, we did, but we would have drafted Steph Curry most likely. And if we would have gotten Steph Curry for KG, I would have taken it 10 times out of 10, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, really not a bad haul. Al Jefferson also ended up being a third-team All-NBA uh, player when he played for Charlotte in 2015, I believe. So, right, we got an all-star level player, some role players, and two first-round picks. So, that's not bad because Wayne Ellington was also 28th that year, which isn't great. But, and uh, Wayne Ellington is a solid pick at number 28. Anyway, 
Uh, Al Jefferson, uh, in our rankings, in our peak impact, he ranks number 12. In our overall impact, he ranks number 10. And for tenure, he had three seasons with the Wolves. Uh, and so he's 24th on our list. On <laughs> Which our is kind list. of sad. He's the 24th most tenured Timberwolf with three seasons. Really two and a half because he only played 50 games and like 70 games in two of those three seasons. So. Right, right. Um, but he played so many minutes. I think the minutes were what got his tenure up more. Yeah, he, he played a lot of minutes. Um, and basically, he's this high because he spent two seasons being the best player on the Timberwolves um, by uh, quite a, a large margin. Um, those yeah. two those two seasons were pretty bad. <laughs> the team went 22 and 60 um, and then 24 and 58. Yep. But in terms of... Uh, average wolves team so we did an average wolf uh win calculation where we averaged uh all the seasons and how many games the wolves won uh, so the average wins for the wolves is 32.6 but uh those numbers are a little uh inflated because there was those seven seasons in a row where we went to the playoffs with kg so i took those years out and after i took those years out the average wins for a wolves team is 25.8 so when you look at it, Al Jefferson was the best player for two years on an average Wolves team. Welcome to the list, Big Al. <laughs> Sorry, thirty-two point five is the is the average. Ah, thirty-two point five. I was 5. wrong. That was me. That was my bad. Bad I, research. I apologize to all three of our fans. Can we just can we just do that again? Sure. So we did an average <laughs> wins where we. <laughs> cal- <laughs> Who who cares? People aren't going to listen to this podcast <laughs> anyway. Let's just move on. I'll just so just, just cut it in. 32.5. 32.5. Wow, we are bad. <laughs> I'm keeping all of this in, Chilenga. I don't care. I'm not I refuse to cut this. All right. All right. Keep it in. Uh It's way too good a content. 32.5 versus 32.6 really matters to our very strict listeners. Our very strict listener base. I remember these two years, these three years that Al Jefferson was on the team. He was only the best player on two of the two of the teams because Kevin Love uh, came in in 2009 and started being good in the second year. But I remember these years as being the darkest years of the Timberwolves. This is when I stopped watching and started watching the Celtics in the playoffs and started rooting for them because I felt so bad for KG for those three middling years of 2004 through 2007 but 22 and 24 wins in the long run isn't that bad for Timberwolves teams I mean we've seen a lot worse teams yeah I mean but this did begin a stretch the Wolves went 22 wins 24 wins 15 wins 17 wins oh it was those were those were the Kevin Love led teams so I'm just surprised that Al Jefferson was uh not on the worst of it yeah, he sure wasn't. Uh, Al Jefferson could win a lot of games. He was a big-time scorer, underrated defender. He's He was really good. So our comp for him, we compared him to LaMarcus Aldridge without uh, the range because, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is really a mid-range god. Um, Al Jefferson is mostly, you know, back-to-the-basket, in-the-paint uh, type of player. And he really only ever shoots with one hand. It's pretty incredible. Um, even, you know, he can be far away from the basket and still accurately hoist up a hook shot or a little floater. Oh, um, yeah. Every single thing that he put up was with one hand. It was amazing. Yeah. All right. 
That is enough on Al Jefferson. Our number 12 player on the list, which... Wait. <laughs> as soon as you get past 10, everything feels too high. Right. That's, so let's just defend this a little Yeah. Bit. So, I mean, on the Wolves, he scored 21 points a game, 11 rebounds per game, um, an assist and a half, a block and a half, and uh, he had 55 double-doubles. This is the 2008-2009 season. That was his peak season. That's just counting stats, but that's all-star level. I think he would have made a great center in this league still because he had so many good moves that like he would have made his uh, role relevant like in terms of low post. Yeah. If he had started playing now. In 2007-2008, he was the only Timberwolf with a positive box plus minus. He was the only one. I remember just thinking, well, it's Al Jefferson and nobody else, and it bears out for those those first two seasons he was on the team. So, Al Jefferson, number 11. Uh, We're going to move on to number 12. This pick uh, ended up being controversial for Dylan and I. We had to do a lot of research to figure out why this happened. Um, Dylan, do you want to talk about number 12? At first, I'm going to be honest, I did not know this player. This player's name is Michael Williams. I was like, Michael Williams, who's that guy? You know, it's funny. We we actually had to do research to figure out how to pronounce his name because... (laughs) It is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Yeah. I think his mom his mom didn't know how to spell Michael. I think that was what it came down hey, to. Hey, it's a, it's a hard name to spell. The A-E, <laughs> that's weird. That's abnormal. Yeah, no. I remember having to learn that when I was a kid, like when I was spelling Michael Jordan or whatever, my, some of my friends' names were Michael. I remember being like, Michael, Michael. And I did not, I, I would have thought M-I-C-H-A-E-L was Michael, Michael or something like that. Right, right. Just because A-E to me seems like L. But yeah, so I understand why his mom had trouble spelling it. Or maybe she did it on purpose because she agreed with how my eight-year-old brain thought. Yeah, or maybe she just wanted him to be unique and individual and, you know, different. <laughs> Like Dwayne Wade. Right. Dwayne. You know, and especially with a name like Michael Williams, if you don't change it up a little bit, you're gonna it's gonna be hard to Google. <laughs> you know? Although this is pre Google. Yeah, when you type in Michael Williams normally you get some actor. So you have yeah. to type it in M I C H E A L for all and, of our three listeners out there who will be doing that. And there's a Actually reverend. Um anyway. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Michael Williams. Um so but he was so good for two seasons, for two straight seasons. He was the best player on two Timberwolves seasons in 1992 and 1993. Well, 1992, 1993, and 1991. No, it was actually Michael Williams on two of those teams. And and Christian Leitner, as you'll find out later in this podcast, like he was not on very many teams where he was the, the best Timberwolf. Like in every year it seemed like it was arguable that he wasn't the best uh Timberwolf on the, any, any of these teams. But on these two Timberwolves teams, they w- they won a total of 39 wins. So they had 19 and 20 wins respectively. Um but he was the best player. And I think being the best player on two Timberwolves teams in a row means something. And he was an amazing defensive player. He was So he was uh, tied for eighth in terms of peak impact in 1992-1993 season with Tom Gugliotta's 
peak season. His overall impact was 14th overall, and his tenure was ranked 38th. Now, he was with the Wolves for four or five total seasons, but after the next, after the 1993-1994 season, he started getting hurt, and he didn't play nearly as often. He did end up playing in that first Timberwolves playoff series, but he was playing, what, 14 points per game we, we researched? 14 minutes per game, um, yeah. Coming off the bench. He was, yeah, he was tied with uh, Al Jefferson for 44 points total. Um, but I, I think that we broke the tie because uh, I added in the score that we dropped, which for both of these players with Al Jefferson and Michael Williams, I dropped tenure because that was their lowest score. Mm-hmm. Well, his tenure was 38th and Al Jefferson's was 24. So that's kind of that's where uh, we just decided to put Al Jefferson ahead of him. And it bears out because he was only the best player on two Timberwolves, or they were both the best player on two Timberwolves teams, but Al Jefferson had a full other season. So um, whereas Michael Williams, uh, it it started to break down after that second Wolves season. Right, right. So he was on the team for six seasons, and but really only played two full seasons. So very injured in those other seasons. Yeah, which is too bad because he was... uh, an awesome player. We were watching, there's one highlight video of him on YouTube. Um, and he was a lot of fun to watch. We compared him to Mike Conley, the way he can defend, um, because he did make the all defensive team with Indiana the year before. Uh, another Michael. I know. Uh, another Michael spelled normal though. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and he could, he could dish the ball, you know, with the wolves in his peak seasons, he averaged 14 points a game, eight assists, three and a half rebounds, almost two steals per game. Um, which is pretty comparable to Mike Conley's career stats. Um, but I would say that Michael Williams is actually a better passer. And he had a little bit of flash with his passing game too, which was super dope. Um, but yeah, kind of a forgotten Timberwolf who was better than we remember. Yeah, uh, we looked at him overall in terms of uh, his comparison with other point guards that season. And he was, in in his peak season, I, we should say, uh, he was... S- Third in steals, sixth in assists, eighth in scoring, ninth in box plus minus, sixth in warp, eighth in win shares, and that was on a 19-win Wolves Wolves team. So like he could have probably been higher had the Wolves been able to win some more games, right? Right. You know, if if he had been surrounded with actual you know NBA NBA talent, like winning talent, um, yeah, I think he, he would have proven. Because I mean, in his time in Indiana, they were in the playoffs, and he was a uh, significant. He was a significant member of that playoff team. So, so I think pretty clearly he would have been a top or he was a top eight point guard for one season, which is right up there with Ricky Rubio's peak. Right. As well. I mean, like just fringe all stars right up there with Mike Conley. Like they were the forgotten all stars. Right. And um, and he was really fun to watch. The other thing I wanted to compare him to was uh, he and Leitner were kind of the Rubio love of the early 90s. They were fun to watch. They were fun pair to watch. And that is a great segue into Chilanga. Number 13. The the, the white king himself, <laughs> Christian Leitner. <laughs> Chilanga, why does it always have to be the white king? Kevin loves our white king. <laughs> oh, the, this is the, he's the OG white king. <laughs> They're all white kings. Ooh, boy. All right. Everything has to do... Every <laughs> Everything goes back to your Knicks team with Cole. Oh, man. Uh, did I get that on the pod last time? Yep, I put that uh, on. Okay, great, great, great. Yeah, you um, should listen to our podcast. I didn't, I didn't listen to it all. I would I, recommend it. I was busy. I was busy doing research 
Dylan. I left it in. I try to leave in all the bad stuff. Okay, good. Uh, so Christian Leitner is number 13 on our list. Uh, he is tied for 15th in Peak Impact with Ricky Rubio and Dean Garrett. Uh, his, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Garrett. There's a name. Uh, Peak Impact. That's so low. Because I feel like Christian Leitner's, when I was at least, when I was a, a casual Wolves fan, Christian Leitner was like a top, at, at least top 10, maybe top five Wolf that like the name that you remember. But 15th is low. Yeah. He just wasn't that good. I mean, he, he was a significant member, but he was never the best player on a Wolves team. Um, he was always second best at best. His overall impact. He was drafted second, right? So yeah. So I feel like there was so much pressure on him. He's kind of like got the Andrew Wiggins bug, where he was like he was never that good. Like Andrew Wiggins was bad, but Mm -hmm. um, and Christian Leitner was not. Christian Leitner was a great, was a very good player. Yeah, being the thirteenth best wolf of all time, but he still has that uh, that stigma about him. I think people would have thought like Andrew Wiggins would be pretty high, and he's a lot lower on our list than maybe a lot of fans would especially younger fans like us right would uh think well yeah i mean because christian Leitner also scored a lot of points you know he was averaging 17 right. 18 points a game with the wolves and he actually went on to atlanta and became an all-star and had a really good long career um but with the wolves we had him early we had him for his first three seasons in the league um four seasons uh and so or th- three and a half, right? Because he got traded in the middle of his fourth season. I'll, I'll get into that when we get into how good he was uh, in terms of being the best player in a team. Yeah. So uh, and then so his tenure was twelfth, uh, and we compared him to like Dylan said, Kevin Love, just a Kevin Love light, not quite the uh, not quite the player Kevin Love is, but you know can stretch the floor, is a good passer, solid rebounder, not a not a super athletic big, but has good feel for rebounding and, uh, you know, passable defense. Yeah, and so his overall impact and his tenure were the only two uh, points that he received. He did not receive any points for peak impact. But, yeah, so he was ninth overall and and 12th in tenure, and that's what got him to 13. Congratulations, Christian Leitner. Um, you watched some Christian Leitner highlights. I did not, but uh, wh- what what kind of differences would you say were uh, between Kevin Love and Christian Leitner? Kevin Love was like a, a super dynamic offensive player um, and really dominated the glass. I mean, what did he have? 60-plus double-doubles in a row or something? 53 double-doubles in a row? Yeah. And uh, Christian Leitner just didn't do that. He didn't have the the physicality that Kevin Love has or Kevin Love had early in his career. He's sort of become a different player now. What really struck me in the comparison is their both of their ability to pass out of the post is really really good. Um Christian Leitner had a really good uh, like basketball IQ. He he really saw the floor well and um could dish could dish the ball really really well. Um I mean he averaged 3 assists per game for his career, which as a center is good i mean that's that's really good for a center um especially not in the modern era you know i think that we kind of expect different things from bigs nowadays but uh christian leitner really could space the floor as a big he ended up being able to shoot threes pretty well in his career um you know not so much with the wolves but um yeah so that's kind of where the kevin love comparison comes in 
Yeah, I think that that's great. And I think that Christian Leitner would have been an even better pick in 2020 than he was in 1992. Or what year was it? I think it was 92. But yeah, so he was the second best player, as we discussed before, on on both of those Michael Williams-led teams in 93 and 94. Um, But he was arguably the best player in 1995-1996, but then he was traded after 44 games. Now in 1994-1995... Tom Gugliotta came over from the Warriors midseason, played 31 games. Um, Christian played the whole year, but he had Tom Gugliotta had a higher PER and box plus minus, but he had l- lower like win shares and VORP, all of the cumulative um, advanced stats. So even in like so 94, 95, he was probably the best player, but he just wasn't clearly clearly the best Wolves player, just because Gugliotta was so awesome for that short amount of time mm-hmm. and then 95 96 like he was actually the the best in terms of box plus minus and per like the stats that don't that don't accumulate um but yeah just because he was traded after 44 games um and it's sad to to know that like i i thought i think we both thought that christian leitner overlapped a little bit more with those gugliata garnett or with that gugliata garnett uh tandem yeah so, that would have been a little bit of a crowded front court, huh? Yeah, I will say there was. I we watched this one game. It was it was Dallas Mavericks versus the Timberwolves in 1995, I believe. So this is a uh, KG's rookie season, right? And uh, KG was playing a lot of small forward. Yeah, of Christian Leitner. Well, it was so cool to watch Gugliata Leitner. KG and JR Ryder on the floor at the same time. Like it was such a big team, but all of the bigs were like, they were all skilled. Uh, I think like in a different, if you were to transplant that team to today, I think, I don't know. I, I, it would be different. It would be different. And I think that that team had a lot of potential that it never was able to reach. Right, especially if Leitner could have stretched the floor. If Leitner could have stretched the floor, could KG have been like a point forward for the team a little bit? And yeah. Of course, KG comes out. Ugh, I do want to talk about this at some point, but KG comes out. Maybe we'll talk about it at the end of the pod, but KG comes out and says, I never wanted to play point guard, blah, 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 blah. Oh, but athletic. he was so good. He was so good. And <laughs> think if he would have been the point forward for this team with Gugliata also sharing the ball. Oh, my God. Dude. Yeah, it would have been awesome. It would have been really awesome. Um, <laughs> alas. You but know. it would have been messed up. It would have been a great 2K team, but probably really <laughs> messed up in real life. Yeah, well, I mean, look at how the 76ers are doing. I mean, it's like this massive, giant team that doesn't actually work. And <laughs> but it's super exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, anyway, not to compare Christian Leitner to Joel Embiid or anything, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, he's the Al Horford. No way. Who is that? Well, yeah, I guess I Gugliotta would kind of be the Al Horford. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe it's not a perfect comparison. Anyway, we're going to move on to uh, number 14. Thank you, Christian Leitner. Bing, for... bing, bing, oh. bing, 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 bing. What's happening? I don't what's know this? what sound to add in that, but uh, that's the sound that I'm adding for now. Oh, uh, what's happening? What's happening? We just got a fan favorite. Boom. Oh, hell yeah. So okay. the fan favorite boost is when when we see that the rankings are messed up because someone meant more to the Timberwolves in our hearts than they did on the court, we give them a fan favorite boost. From 
rankings one to ten, or from one to ten, we weren't going to change anything. We just decided let's keep it the same because our fan favorite ended up way too high anyway. Gorgie Jang in the yeah. top ten. <laughs> yeah, the only uh, player we would have given it to. It. <laughs> exactly. I was like, Ugh. but anyway, eleven through twenty, we decided to give up to two positional changes, uh, and we decided to give this to this player who not only played what 10 seasons for the wolves was the second highest tenured Timberwolf of all time. He came back after he coached for not a horrible Toronto team. Like he, he coached these Chris Bosch mid two thousands Toronto teams. And he ended up going to the playoffs two years in a row, but he came back because flip Saunders, the great, great, great late flip, decided to bring him back onto the coaching staff and he filled in while Flip was undergoing non or I was it Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma it was whatever it was it was very close to what my dad actually had um but it was he was a little bit farther along unfortunately in the development of that disease but yeah he brought Sam Mitchell on and Sam Mitchell just coached the Timberwolves very young very fun Timberwolves he coached Andrew Wiggins and then he did he coach uh the year that we were looking for Tom Thibodeau so Carl's rookie year as well yes he did he was a part of some really exciting terrible times for the Timberwolves and same thing in 89 890 um he played for this Timberwolves team that was very young and he got a chance. His first four uh, years that he was that he was out of college, he was playing in the CBA, which was like the G League before the G League, but it, w- it wasn't associated with the NBA as much, I don't think. So that uh, Dallas Mavericks game that we were watching, Dallas Mavericks and Wolves which game one, we were watching. Which one was that? Um, the 1995, I guess maybe with I only... Christian Leitner? I only watched it. Yeah, the one that we talked about with Christian Leitner. Um, oh, okay, okay. I was hoping to catch a glimpse of Sam Mitchell because he was on that team, but I, I it didn't work out. Um, but what it was what we what we too grainy. Yeah, it was too grainy. Hard to really hard to tell what was going on. But what what we found out is that it's really hard to find highlights of Sam Mitchell on the internet. But we did find one. Uh, <laughs> I guess you could call it a highlight. Um, the video is called Low "Penny light. Hardaway Dunks on Sam Mitchell." <laughs> <laughs> it was just an eight second video of Penny <laughs> lighting him up. Oh uh, man. Number forty two, baby. Okay, so he played with the Wisconsin Flyers of the Continental Basketball Association. That's where I'm getting CBA from. Ah. Uh but this this was before the G League existed. Uh he played with the Rapid City Thrillers. Great name. And um with Mont Montpellier in it looks like the French basketball club. Uh, so he played, he was kind of, uh, a little bit lost his first four years out of college. Um, he was drafted in 1985 in the third round by the Houston Rockets, the third round, but he got his chance when the NBA decided to overexpand and somehow include a team, uh, a city that doesn't care about basketball, except there were 40,000 people in the stands. As we learned later on, as you'll hear in this podcast, in uh, another game that we were watching, they were in the Metrodome, and they had they were bringing forty thousand people to the games. Absolutely, wild. the good old days, the glory days of the Timberwolves, the glory days of Minnesota basketball. If only we cared about basketball that much today. Yeah, but, if only. Uh, yeah. So Sam Mitchell, what a great player. Sam Mitchell, the only 
autograph that I ever got on a Timberwolves uniform or a Timberwolves, I should say, on any Timberwolves swag that I ever had. It was a Timberwolves t-shirt. I went to a game, must have been in the early 2000s when the Wolves were going to the playoffs. He ended up going to six playoffs with the Wolves, by the way. I mean, he was on a lot of really good teams as a bad player. But uh, he was the only person who stayed back and uh, signed my Timberwolves t-shirt. And I will be forever thankful to Sam Mitchell for that. And because of that, Sam Mitchell's way higher than 14 in my list of favorite Timberwolves. Yep. I mean, Sam, Sam Mitchell's easily in my top five. He's a great guy. I mean, he was an underdog story, as, as we were talking about. Like, he fought his way into the league, and when the league expanded, he, he, made a, he made a place for himself, and he made a home for himself in Minneapolis. And so good for Sam Mitchell. You became a coach. Now you're on NBA TV sometimes and yeah, as an analyst. And great like, guy. And, you know, coming into the league at 26 and carving out a 12-year NBA career is impressive. Um, yeah, retiring at, what, 40, 39? 38, Jeez. or 39, played, I guess, yeah. He played forever. Yeah, what a what a good story. We should probably go over some of the like technicalities. He was 29th in peak impact. Not very good. He was helped though. He was significantly helped by our playoff points. So he got one point for each playoffs that he was in, which means he got six additional points. So that really helped Mm -hmm. him in, in his peak impact. Yeah. He wouldn't have been nearly at 29. He would have been at like 45 or something like that or 40, but his overall impact because his overall VORP was so low. His win shares were good because he was on good teams, but his VORP, like he was just such a negative on those teams. He was 49th overall. I And he should have probably been lower, but I just said he was 103rd in, in VORP rather than uh, going all the way down to 265. It was The score was dropped either way, so it didn't really matter. But we wanted to also comp him. His tenure was obviously second, as we discussed earlier. Um, we wanted to comp him. He was a Jared Dudley, small mm-hmm. ball four. He was a negative player when Jared Dudley, Jared Dudley was a positive player, but uh, Sam Mitchell was a negative negative version of Jared Dudley. But the thing that he did was he got out of KG's way. Uh, he was... <laughs> well, I'm just saying he was like... in. He was a power forward at the beginning of his career, but when he was with KG, he played more small forward. And 55% of his shots uh, in the last two years of his career, which is the only data we can get for in terms of shot charts on basketball reference, they were from 16 feet to three point. And he shot 44% there. He did not shoot better at the rim. He just kind of belonged out a little bit. And that was the early 2000s version of spacing. And he got out of KG's way enough for KG to develop into a first team all nba type of player he wasn't there for the 0304 season but he was there for that second best 0102 season and thanks sam mitchell <laughs> all right dylan we're gonna move on to 15 which means we're like halfway through i guess once we're halfway through 15 we're halfway through the list this is really exciting our number 15 player is uh <laughs> <laughs> is a player i i had kind of um forgotten i like i didn't know much about him when when we started this um and i'm really glad that we got to i got to do a little deep dive on him and and find out just how awesome of a player he was um and that's the only reason i knew him uh-huh. is because of nba live 2001 and 2002 he was just, he ah. was absolutely lights out in those games yeah and so number 15 is anthony peeler um yes he was uh 28th in pink peak impact 13th in overall impact and 9th in tenure 
we uh we posed the question since he's 15th on this list does that make him he and he played the two he's our first two guard on this list is he the best shooting guard in Timberwolves history some might say J.R. Ryder some might say Andrew Wiggins well we did a little bit of a dive on it Dylan do you want to talk about some of the stuff that we learned about Anthony Peeler yeah Anthony Peeler when when we were watching back, I remember Anthony Peeler, and especially because of these NBA live games, I remember him just sitting out of the three-point line, and I remember him being really good at spot-up threes. I don't remember him being athletic. I don't remember him getting to the rim. I don't remember any of that stuff. I, I just remember him as the role player that he was with KG. But when he was playing for the Lakers, he could get his own shot. He was creative. He was athletic. I mean, he was a very, very well-rounded NBA player. Um, Another thing, another highlight video we saw was he, uh, after he left the Wolves, who was he playing for at that point? Sacramento. So he was playing for Sacramento. And well, first of all, that's one of our uh, big rivals because of the those C-Web teams that we played in 2003, 2004-ish range. He elbows Kevin Garnett in the face and then KG doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah, KG doesn't do anything. So, like, it, it gets a little chippy. Uh, Anthony Peeler comes up, elbows KG in the face, which to, to <laughs> me is like, uh, like, you better pray for your life at that point. Because oh, yeah. I can't imagine ever doing anything to hurt KG and thinking that I was going to walk away um, not incredibly injured. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if I'm like 6'4". How tall was Anthony? Yeah, Taylor? he's like 6'4". He's and a tiny guy. KG's all like 7 feet. So <laughs> it's... Yeah. Uh, but uh, 6'13". KG, KG didn't do anything. He just kind of like back like took a step back and was like whoa and then you know everyone came over and you know separated the guys. But he didn't do anything which made me think like is Anthony Peeler like a super tough guy like is he was kg like intimidated to try to like mess with anthony peeler and yeah. like and like th- to, to be bold enough respect yeah from playing with him for six seasons or whatever i mean he was he was a he was a really really important timberwolf and probably really close to kevin garnett and and if kg if kg was getting hit in the face as we know with how kg liked to jaw off he probably deserved some of it you know <laughs> yeah he probably did he probably crossed a couple lines. Yeah. Yeah. A big part of this is that Anthony Peeler, through his five and a half seasons with the with the Wolves, all of those seasons were winning seasons, which is super important when it comes to ranking these Wolves. Because if you were on those teams that were going to the playoffs, that were winning games, you're, you are like incredibly important to this franchise because that was our golden era. Um and, and we he, didn't have any other shooting guards. Like in the in Wolves tenure, we don't have that many shooting guards. So he was playing a lot of minutes on mm-hmm, those teams. Mm-hmm. So throughout that stretch of five and a half seasons, he was anywhere from uh, we had Wally Zerbiak. I guess Wally Zerbiak's the greatest shooting guard, in, or was <laughs> no? He was a small. Forward. He was a small I'm forward. Him as a small forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. On those teams, he was anywhere from the like sixth best to the fourth best player, depending on. Depending on how you want to look at it, but his his BPM, his VORP, his uh, his uh, win shares were all between four and six on for those five and a half seasons. Um, so a really important player, played a lot of minutes uh, on some really good Wolves teams. 
Totally. Uh, I'm just looking up Wally Zerbiak to see because he might have played like he did play small or small forward for the Wolves every year. It looks yeah. like on Basketball Reference. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. I'm gonna look at the play-by-play. Yeah, he didn't um, play. Oh one, oh two. He played uh, 44% of his minutes at shooting guard. Okay. But 52% was at small forward. So he was he was even in his, his one All Star year, he was still playing more minutes at small forward. Yeah. So Wally, you're not a shooting guard. Even though you're a great three-point shooter. One of the best shooters in Timberwolves history as well, Anthony Peeler. Um, oh, yeah. He's sixth in three-point percentage um, among all Wolves at 38%, but he's third in attempts. He took 1,226 threes with the, uh, with the Wolves. Carl and, and Andrew Wiggins is actually first in attempts, um, and then Carl's second. But the next closest Timberwolf from a, like in the same era is Wally Zerbiak with 849 attempts. So, like... The, the prolificness of Anthony Peeler's shooting over the five and a half seasons was a legitimate. He was a real legitimate floor spacer and a, and a very important part of our teams. And the other thing, he transformed his game in order to fit Kevin Garnett. Like, he wouldn't have fit the way that he was playing on the Lakers with, when, where he was, like, driving to the basket and clogging the lane and blah, 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 blah. Like, he figured out a way to make kg a better player and so we have to we have to thank him for that thank you anthony peeler (laughs) but uh let's do it right now uh so it's carl number one for uh our best three-point shooters of all time probably uh zerbiak number two yep maybe fred hoiberg number three and then anthony peeler and anthony peeler probably at number four maybe number five but probably number four how is his defense he looked to be about an average defender so his his peak defensive years, 1997-98, where he played half the season with the Wolves, he was a slightly above average defender. His defensive box plus minus was 0.2 in 98-99 and 0.6 in 97-98. Um, and his peak season, 1998-99, he had a 104 defensive rating, which compared to... Um, I believe Sam Cassell, no, uh, yeah, Sam Cassell had a 104 rating in a similar era. So he was, he was uh, an average defender. He was average. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he would have been a really great 3 and D type of player in today's league. I mean, obviously he had more skills than just that, but that was kind of where he fit in for at least the Wolves and maybe would fit in today as well. Chilanga, what did you comp uh, Anthony Peeler to? Uh, I comped him to Wesley Matthews, a uh, 3-and-D player with some athleticism. I know Wes Matthews used to get up a lot more, but has kind of transitioned into just a spot-up guy now. Um, so I, I, w- I will say I think Anthony Peeler is a little bit more, in, in his young days, had more athleticism than uh, Wes Matthews. I mean, he was really throwing down when he was with the Lakers. Um, yeah, if he would have been the way that he was with the Lakers with the Wolves, he would have been he would have been much higher on the most exciting Timberwolves list, but because of it he's probably not that high. <laughs> All right. So that's Anthony Peeler. Next we're going to 16. Hold and for uh, plane. I'm just kidding. There's a plane going over me. <laughs> Go for 16. <laughs> I actually so I live really close to the airport and when you're inside my house you can't hear planes really at all. I think that it was built to, uh, Good construction. To not to, with that in mind. All right. So our number sixteen player is actually the first player ever drafted by the Timberwolves, um, which uh, is important. You know, that's like that is he is a really significant part of Wolves history. Um, oh yeah. 
He's a small guard from UCLA. I actually don't know if he went to US- UCLA, but um, <laughs> 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 let's say that he went to UCLA either way. <laughs> um, and this is a wolf that I knew nothing about when this started as well, and that's Pooh Richardson, um, the six foot. He did point go guard. to UCLA. Way to go! Oh yeah, awesome. The Good six memory. Foot point guard from UCLA, uh, ranked 14th in peak, peak impact, 11th in overall impact, and 15th in tenure. Um, so he was the ball handler for the Wolves' first three and a half seasons before he was traded, um, and he made it this high. You know, the, these teams were pretty bad. These uh, Timberwolves teams. They yeah. uh, he was on a team that won 15 games, which is one of the worst uh, <laughs> teams in Timberwolves history. No, 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 Chalanga, correct that. It's one of the worst teams in NBA history. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. The Sixers were 13 wins, weren't they? Yes. So they're two wins away from being the worst team. They might have been the worst team until that Sixers team that was trying to tank. Right. Well, I, you, you recall, too, that the Timberwolves also won 15 games in 2009-2010 as well. So That's true. Um, he uh, <laughs> at least tied for worst t- uh, season in Timberwolves history. Yeah. But he, he... So even though the teams were bad, he was... Arguably the best player on the Wolves for three seasons. So this was the era with Pooh Richardson, Ty Corbin, and uh, Tony Campbell as kind of the the big three, if, if I can say that. <laughs> the mini three, I should say. <laughs> yeah. But he was a really solid player. I mean, he kind of played... Uh, the same way. Like I, th- I think he was similar to uh, Michael Williams, too, in the way that he played. Because he would just run a, an offense very intelligently. Um, but yeah, he yeah. was definitely the best player in 91-92 when the team had 15 wins, as we were talking about before. But it, other years, it was kind of arguable whether Ty Corbin, Tony Campbell, and uh, even Scott Brooks in 90-91 made an appearance in box plus minus above, uh, above Pooh Richardson. So like he was not that dominantly the best player in in 90 or 91 but in 92 he was definitely the best player so yeah i mean he he was a really solid offensive player so his peak season his counting stats he averaged 17.1 points a game nine assists three and a half rebounds at six feet tall and a steal and a half um so he uh he was a really solid offensive player he actually went on and played with the uh with Indiana and the Clippers and went to the playoffs a couple of times and didn't play super well. But he was he was a really solid uh, young player uh, for the Wolves. Defensively, he was... <laughs> was he a sieve? He actually wasn't that bad. He wasn't okay. that bad. He had one positive defensive season with the Wolves with a 0.4 <laughs> defensive rating, uh, defensive uh, box plus minus. Um, the other two seasons, he was at a negative one. But overall... He was a better defender than uh, he maybe You're, got credit for. Okay. Your comp for him was not a great defender, though, at all. No, 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 no. My comp for him was Isaiah Thomas, you know, a little guard. Pooh is a little bit bigger, but, uh, you know, I, I think that they both, they their shot mechanic looks pretty similar. They're both little guys who can score and dish. Um, Isaiah Thomas is obviously much more dynamic um, and... Uh, Pooh Richardson was never in the MVP conversation or anything, but I think they have a, a, a similar way that they uh, run the game. 
Yeah, maybe an Isaiah Thomas before that uh, amazing Celtics year where he was yeah. just lighting it up in the fourth quarter. Are you ready to move on to number 17? I am, Dylan. This man I'm going to talk about because he's one of my own. <laughs> we got to Are, are we getting dogs, another... Baby. Yeah, are we getting another white king? White king, baby! Oh my god, Fred Hoiberg! This is high. This is very high. This is a ranking that Chalanga or Dylan would have made because just because he's a white king, but somehow it actually plays out in in our system. Our system must be a little bit racist. Or maybe the Timberwolves <laughs> have just had a lot of white kings. Oh, um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna talk about the white era in a little bit. Oh God, the white king, the era of the white kings. Uh, so his peak impact, Fred Hoiberg's, was 11. Fred Hoiberg's peak impact season was higher than Pooh Richardson, higher than obviously Anthony Peeler, and Sam Mitchell, obviously. But he was higher than Christian Leitner and Ricky Rubio. Wow. Yeah, he had some really good advanced stats. And the reason why is because he was always a positive player when he was on the court. He wasn't playing that many minutes. I must say that. He was, always, he was usually coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. But he was always playing tough, tough defense. His overall impact was only number 20. He was only on the, se- on the, on the Timberwolves for two seasons. He was, but, but he was on the Timberwolves for two really, really strong seasons uh and his tenure was 62nd overall um he is what do we call him the third greatest shooter in timberwolves history he was the greatest shooter in timberwolves history in terms of percentage i mean just amazing at 46 percent. but not only did he do 46 percent in the regular season he had 46 percent against all of those amazing teams in 2003, 2004 against those that Sacramento team, the Lakers, and who was the other one? The Nuggets? I think the Nuggets were the, were the first-round matchup, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, he was 46% in the playoffs for the Timberwolves as well. So he was just really consistent, always coming off the bench with a lot of energy, would always, uh, w- would always work hard against whoever he was guarding. Um, and I think that a lot of people would say, Fred Hoiberg, how is he ahead of Latrell Sprewell? Well, Chalanga, I looked into that. Yeah, Dylan, that's fucked up. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, Fred Hoiberg and Latrell Sprewell, Fred Hoiberg only played 3,000 minutes, whereas Latrell Sprewell did play 5,500 minutes. But Fred Hoiberg was ahead of Sprewell in terms of PER, he was he was way ahead in win shares, uh, eleven point three to seven point six in win shares, uh, fourteen point nine to thirteen point six in per, two point nine in terms of box plus minus versus a negative one point three box plus minus for Latrell Sprewell, and he was ahead in VORP three point eight to one point zero. So these are regular season stats for the two years that both of them played. They played the exact same two years. Uh, for the Timberwolves. So this is very a very good comparison to make. Um, part of that is, like you look at the turnovers, the turnover percentage for Latrell Sprewell is 10.5 versus 7.7 for Fred Hoiberg. Of course, Latrell Sprewell would, should have been more turn, turnover prone. 
um, because he was holding the ball a lot more often, dribbling the ball. But Latrell, Latrell Sprewell was actually, he had a bad 2004-2005 season, and I, that's because he got old. He was in his he was in his thirties by that by this point in his career, and it this was his last year that he played in the league. So he was just about to leave the league, and that led to him being a negative player his second season with the Timberwolves. And he also wasn't even that great uh, in that two thousand three two thousand four season, or at least as great as you would remember. I think it's pretty arguable that Fred Hoiberg, in terms of at least advanced stats and being on the court was uh, a better player even in 2003, 2004. I think you were saying, like, everyone remembers the big three being uh, KG, Cassell, Sprewell. But when Hoiberg was on the was on the court, that team was a lot better. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think part of it, too, it, it just comes down to a matter of efficiency. We got Latrell Sprewell at the end of his career. We had him for his last two seasons. Um, he was old. He was wearing down and so he did score a lot of points that first season he averaged like 17 points a game but efficiency really matters and he he right. didn't he didn't he wasn't a good shooter he shot 40 percent overall 33 percent from three 43 percent from two um and uh if you're not a good shooter you're only assisting three and a half times a game that's actually more detrimental to your team than uh than fred hoiberg coming in and just scoring and playing very efficient offense and defending at an elite level. Although Latrell Sprewell is had was a good defender throughout his career. Um in fact made a made an all defense team um when he was young. But uh you know, at this point he was old and and wearing down. Right. I looked at the advanced stats for the 2003-2004 season specifically just to see who the top 3 players were. <clears throat> and uh yes, Fred Hoiberg again played a lot less minutes. But in those minutes, he was still way better than Latrell Sprewell. He was a positive 2.0 uh, in box plus minus, whereas Latrell Sprewell was negative. Again, like both of the seasons were, were negative, but this season was negative 0.3. And uh, his value over replacement player, which is cumulative, so even though he played less minutes, he still had a higher VORP, still still had a 1.8 VORP versus Latrell Sprewell's 1.3. And he had more win shares. He had 6.1 win shares to Latrell Sprewell's 5.7. So he was just so, so, so much more efficient in in a lot less minutes played. And in the playoffs, Latrell Sprewell played really well in the play, playoffs. His VORP was positive. His box plus minus was positive. He was a 3.1 uh, in his box plus minus, but Fred Hoiberg was tied with him at 3.1. Uh, Latrell Sprewell's VORP was 1.0 whereas Fred Hoiberg's was only 0.6. And again, that's because that's a cumulative stat. Latrell Sprewell's win shares was 1.6, whereas Fred Hoiberg's was 1.3. Now, Fred Hoiberg was still the third banana in the playoffs because Sam Cassell, other than that 40-point game against Sacramento in Game 1 where he had ruptured his eardrum, he wasn't that effective, actually. He might have been second in PER, but he was fourth in VORP. Uh, fourth in box plus minus and fourth in win shares behind Fred Hoiberg. So Fred was the third, the third and a half banana on that 2003-2004 team. And I think that that has been forgotten over the years, maybe. Yeah, he was really, really good. And and so I think that after after we dove in, this felt right. And I, I guess we will, we will see where Latrell Sprewell lands on this list, won't we? 
<laughs> so Fred Hoiberg, we compared to Danny Green and Tyler Hero as far as his uh, his defensive ability and his prolific three point shooting. Dylan, you ready for number eighteen? Yes. Number eighteen might I be. Am. I you know I'm, I can't confirm, but this might be Dylan's favorite Timberwolf of all time. At least it's it seems like it. Dylan <laughs> has been getting really amped up about this player. Um, for I mean he I'm just gonna let Dylan go off. Okay. Okay. Chauncey Billups is 10th in peak impact. I mean, he had a really great 2001-2002 season. He was he was pretty young. I mean, we got him from the Celtics in uh, early on in his career when uh, Rick Pitino did not believe in Chauncey Billups, and he decided to give him to us for free, essentially. he So he became 10th in impact. He did not play for us for very long, so his overall impact was only 22nd overall, and his tenure was 53rd for us so he was the fourth best player in that 2000 2002 range kg and wally zerbiak and terrell brandon were the kind of the top three players but uh chauncey bills was really good off the bench for the timberwolves and eventually terrell brandon hurt his knee and he only played 32 games in 2001 2002 so he was lower in vorp and wind chairs actually than Chauncey Billups, but he was higher still in the non-accumulative stats like PR and BPM. Whereas Wally Zerbiak was an all-star in 2002. This is that last season uh, of Terrell Brand's career. He was higher in wind shares and VORP than Chauncey Billups, but he was not higher in box plus minus and PER. And then KG was best at everything, obviously. But that that was the second best Timberwolves team of all time, that 2001-2002 team. And he was kind of... He was the third slash maybe second and a half banana because when it came to the playoffs, he was the second best player. He was tied for second in win shares and VORP with Wally, but he had, he was second in PER. Uh, he, he played the most minutes on the team, more than KG, and uh, he was third in box plus minus to Anthony Peeler, our own Anthony Peeler. Uh, so, yeah, Chalinga, maybe he was the second best player in the playoffs for the second best Timberwolves team of all time. Well, okay. So second best player in the playoffs on the second best Timberwolf of all time. And throughout the season was maybe the fourth best player. Is that, am I, am I understanding correctly? Uh, I would say he was probably the second or third best. Sorry, because uh, TB only played 32 games that season. Got and it. So he actually doesn't qualify for our peak impact season. Okay. So I, w- okay. I would say that TB can't count and uh, Chauncey was, yeah. Yeah. Third, so, so at least the third minute. Very short tenure with the Wolves, but a, a really bright peak, um, but not quite great enough to, to get him you know, in, in the top half of things. Um, right. but, but still recognizing his importance and, and, and how good he was for that playoffs, especially. Yeah, so exactly. I, I'm just confused, Dylan. Why did he was awesome and he was young and I mean, it's, it would have been cool to have Chauncey Billups kind of develop it with the Timberwolves. And I just, why did he leave? That's something that I, I just don't know. Oh. He, so he was a free agent at the end of the 2001-2002 season, and he had just had his coming out party. And if only he hadn't had his coming out party, maybe we could have gotten him for pennies. But he was going to command a significant salary. Now, at that point, Terrell Brandon was commanding $10 million a year, which is not insignificant in uh, 2002 money, I should say. In 2002 NBA money, I should say. But 
he decided he wanted to stay with the wolves. He's like, he said that he wanted to stay with the wolves, but the wolves wanted to see how Terrell Brandon's 31 year old knee healed a 31 year old point guard knee. Shaking my head. Why couldn't they just kept them both? They could have played together. Chauncey Billups could have come off the bench. Chauncey Billups signed for five years, thirty or seven years. Wait, what? What was it? Did I five say seven years, years thirty-five million? No, five, five years, years, thirty-five million. That's what it was. Yeah, he signed for five years, thirty-five million for the for the Detroit Pistons, and ended up becoming a second-team All-NBA player, a top ten NBA player during KG's prime. What would have been KG's prime? And he won Finals MVP. Just think, think, flip, think. Who was our GM at the time? Just think. Don't take a 31-year-old point guard. What is, our, what is our stupid infatuation with point guards who are either at the beginning of their career and are committing a lot of turnovers because they're young and dumb or old and they're losing their knees? That is just... I don't understand it. But so that next season, 2002-2003, Terrell Brandon wasn't even playing. He didn't play the whole year. He was, he was a $10 million uh, detriment to our salary cap, and we couldn't like, get rid of him, like sending a pick to somebody. I don't know. Like oh. Keep Chauncey Billups. He was so good in the playoffs. 22 points per game. You know who Five you rebounds can, per game. You know who you 5.7 can, assists per game. You know who you can blame? Who? Kevin David McHale. No. Yeah. No, Kevin, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, Kevin McHale was not the best GM. He could not put a finals team around Kevin Garnett. And therefore, you're a failure. If you can't put a finals team around peak Kevin Garnett, you're a failure. So the next season, instead of Terrell Brandon, we had a a Timberwolves great, Troy Hudson. I love T-Hud. He was a for sure fan favorite, but he started that 2002-2003 season and had a really great year, actually, for the Timberwolves. But just imagine if that could have been Chauncey Billups and Troy Hudson coming off the bench as the sixth man. That would have been so, so good. Lethal, absolutely lethal. And I think that, you know, that 2003-2004 season might have been the Sam Cassell second-team All-NBA, but do you know who won finals MVP that season? Chauncey Billups! (laughs) Let's Ooh. move on before I have a brain aneurysm. Dylan is feeling upset. All right, I'm going to go off for a little bit here on one of my favorite wolves of all time. <laughs> um, White he, King. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He uh, It's a very, I mean, this is really kind of when I started to get into wolves basketball a lot, which is funny because, I mean, these were really. <laughs> it was the white era. These were really terrible years. But uh, <laughs> it's just, that's when I started to get into basketball in general. That's when I started playing and uh you know this is just when when my love started to grow and uh this uh number 19 is nikola pekovic peck um one of you know i can't believe he's this high one of eric perkins favorites uh oh, one of yeah. one of my favorites so peck in peak play in uh peak impact he was 21st overall impact he was 15th and tenure he was 16th so he's really in the middle of this list and all the categories. Um, and you know what? I, he got this high, Dylan, because he was the third best player in what I have categorized um, as uh, the white era for the Wolves. So the, so the, 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 the <laughs> white, white album, the, the, the Wolves white era is, is kind of characterized by 
the rotation of white players that we had. Um, I think the average was six white players per year, which is crazy. That was like a team from the 70s or some shit. Uh, <laughs> um, so Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, Chase Budinger. I, got, I counted J.J. Barea. He's Puerto Rican, but just the eye test, you know? Well, uh, <laughs> white. There, there are a lot of white Hispanic people. You can, yeah, that's true. And, and I call them conquistadors. <laughs> Luke Rittenauer, Alexi Sped, Andre Kirilenko, Robbie Hummel, and Darko Milicic. I mean, this I, is... I do have to shout out my conquistador friend, Kevin Johnson, who <laughs> is half, half Mexican, but he's very light-skinned Mexican. Mm. Um, he does listen to this podcast and loves the Timberwolves, so he might be listening right now. Love you, Kev. All right, Kevin, tweet at us. Let us know if you think JJ Barea is white. Uh, <laughs> 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 and... Uh, Woo! Throughout this era, he was uh, consistently kind of the third best player. So he was second in win shares at 18.2. He was third in VORP at 3.3 and third in box plus minus at uh, 0.3, which is not very good. But, I mean, he was one of three players that was had a positive uh, BPM in this era, that being uh, Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love. Um, unfortunately, his career was really uh, plagued by injuries. So he he had... Mm-hmm. Three really solid seasons um, from the 2011 season to the 2014 season. But after that, he could not stay on the court. He couldn't stay healthy. He had problems with his feet. He had problems with his back. He was a massive, massive man. Him running looked just thick, laborious. Like he didn't, it didn't look good. He couldn't really jump. I mean, he was six foot 11, 307 pounds, Dylan. <laughs> Oh, that's some late 90s basketball shit. Dude, he was beefy. <laughs> he was so beefy. But uh, in his peak, he was scoring, you know, 17 points a game, eight and a half rebounds a game. Um, he couldn't jump, but he had a knack for the offensive board. He just had really good timing and was able to use his body to just kind of push people out of the way. He was not the, the most fun player to watch in, like, his skill, but he was fun so to watch boring. because nobody looked like him. Like, there, there weren't any players that were that big, that burly, and were just, like, not even... He wasn't even that skilled. He was just, like, moving people and just, like, throwing the ball up, and his touch was good enough that it, it went in the basket. Um, so we kind of compared him to Steven Adams. I think Pekovic was actually better offensively, but worse defensively than Steven Adams is, but... As far as just like the size of human, I think that was the closest <laughs> that we could get. Yeah, he was just, he's so much slower than Steven Adams. And I think that that's probably <laughs> what led to him fizzling out of the league. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we, so, so we gave him a huge contract too. Didn't we give him yeah, like he, $60 million? Yeah, he was making a lot of money while he was uh, sitting on our bench injured. Uh, but yeah, just for he comparison, was just too slow, and he was became a detriment on defense. So Stephen Adams, a player that we've all seen, is six eleven, two hundred and sixty five pounds. And I repeat, Nikola Pekovic was six eleven, three hundred and seven pounds. So an out of shape Nikola Pekovic, or sorry, out of shape. Uh, Nikola Pekovic is an out of shape Stephen Adams. He's a guy. He outweighs Stephen Adams by forty pounds. <laughs> Did you see what I wrote there? He's more like a Steve Irwin Adams. Oh, that's good. I love that. <laughs> all right, Dylan, let's move on to our final player on this list, the 20th greatest Timberwolf of all time, a player that I also had not heard of once again. Um, Dylan, had you heard of this player before we started? I think so. I think I've heard Ty Corbin, 
But uh, it's so weird that I have not heard of Michael Williams, the 12th best Timberwolf of all time. I know. I have heard of Ty Corbin. But again, had I watched him ever before? No. I just probably heard Jim Peterson talk about him and just drop his name once, you know, like he, he, like he does, as he does. Right. So Tyrone Corbin uh, ranked 19th in peak impact, 15th in overall impact, and 35th in tenure. So he was one of the players in our um, inaugural season. Uh, the 1989-1990 season in the Metrodome in front of 40,000 fans. Um, and he was arguably the best player. I think I think this shows that that Pooh Richardson was the best player on that team, but Ty- Tyrone Corbin was a close, close um, second. So he played shooting guard. He was a six-foot-six shooting guard. He was a really solid defender. He was the best defender um on the Wolves, he had uh, he was the only Timberwolf <laughs> the best defender on the worst team in the league. Yes, great. Yes, um, he was the only Timberwolf with a positive defensive uh, box plus minus um, on those teams. Uh, he was an incredible, incredible rebounder. He led the Wolves as a shooting guard in rebounding um, in 1989. Um, from 19 in in both those seasons, 1989 season and in the 19. 19- 90-91 season, he was second in rebounding, um, but only by like half of a rebound to the center. So he uh, was an incredible re- rebounder. Um, but in his peak season... Chalinga. Yeah. I have never heard of a shooting guard leading his team in rebounding. I've heard of point guards doing it, like Russell Westbrook, and it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to be the ones taking the ball down the court, but like a shooting guard leading the team in rebounds why are they jumping all over the place yeah it's crazy i did do a little bit of a deep dive to see if that had ever happened and really it's only happened two times so james harden is one um he did that in 2016 2017 but he's kind of a point guard i mean he's kind of he's kind of running the show it's it's the james harden show and everyone else to kind of you know watch um and it only happened one other time, and that was a uh, fat lever played for Denver. Um, he had nine point three rebounds per game, which was absolutely nuts. Um, as a shooting guard, is incredible. So, Tyrone Corbin in rare company. Um, although he did do it on a really like terrible, terrible team. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, in his in his peak season, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, he was first. He was tied for first for uh, in Vorp with Pooh Richardson. He was second in BPM behind Pooh Richardson, and he was first in win shares. So uh, he and Pooh were super comparable um, as far as how good they were, but Pooh just had an extra season. Uh, Tyrone Corbin only played two seasons for the Wolves before he moved on. I'm sure that he uh, did not hate moving on from the Timberwolves. Yeah, I don't don't know why he would. Um, (laughs) He... uh, Except those forty thousand fans might be tantalizing. Here's kind of one thing that I that I found out though is that he these wolves stats uh, for these two seasons are super funky. Um, so he yeah he got traded to Utah in the beginning of his third season, but before he came to the wolves, Ty Corbin had been averaging seven points, four rebounds, and one assist in his, his first season. Nope, though that was. Uh, Five seasons, he had been, that. Those were his averages. Okay, um, and then he came to the Wolves, and in two seasons with the Wolves, he averaged sixteen points, seven rebounds, three assists. So uh, 
He got a lot That's of opportunity, baby. He got a lot of opportunity on this expansion team, but that doesn't disregard his importance to the Wolves as a, as a player. I mean, like we said, no. it, it goes a long way to be the best player on a team uh, for this Wolves franchise, and he was the best, arguably the best or second best player on two Wolves teams. Um, so yeah, as far as his game goes, he was a really stout defender. Um, he had a really solid mid-range game. Um, he played kind of slow and measured. Actually, when I was watching him, I was like, Dylan, he kind of plays like Kawhi Leonard. And Dylan was no. like, no way. No, no, no. And no. then Dylan, Dylan watched and he was like, oh. <laughs> He's like the silhouette of Kawhi. Yeah, like if you He's squint. got the same pigeon-toed, like awkward, uh, slow game, but it mm-hmm. works. And he finds his own shot. Yep. And he can shoot from kind of anywhere on the court. And the mechanic but, of it is super similar. I think that's really yeah. what got it. It's the, it's the mechanic is super similar to Kawhi's. Yeah, it's um, like this weird closed off pigeon toed like shot that he has. I don't know what it. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it it looks, it looks like it. So basically, what we're saying is that if you squint at his kind of grainy highlight mix on YouTube, you mm-hmm. might say that looks kind of like Kawhi Leonard. Um, but we <laughs> we probably more accurately compared him to like a TJ Warren. You know, solid defender, um, solid shooter. It, if given the ball in and the opportunity, he will he can lead your team in scoring. Um, but his best role is probably as a role player um, and a, and a floor spacer. All right, Dylan. Wow, twenty players done. Chalinga, did you want to talk about KG? Yeah, we should talk about KG really quick. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So Shams put out an athletic article. What three days ago now? It's been it's been kind of a minute. Um, right. Uh, you know in uh kg's going to the hall of fame and so he did kind of a tell-all article um dylan you want to start us off yeah so i saw this and i was like che we gotta talk about kg now because we did not talk about him in the first podcast and that's coming out after this article anyway but he goes off (laughs) on glenn taylor almost like without any prompt because shams is just like or is it shams or shams i've always i've always said shams Mo, it's Shams. It's Shams. So Shams is like, is just asking him, hey, do you want to get your jersey retired? And he's like, no, Glenn Taylor's a snake. I don't deal with snakes. Why would I deal with Glenn Taylor? And then, and I was like, whoa, the same take that Chalanga has about our owner. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I hate him. So like, while it's not surprising that, KG hates him. Like we we already knew that there was some trouble. Obviously, he wasn't coming to Timberwolves games, and I think Ryan Tanky was the one who was saying like he wasn't ready. Blah blah blah. But that was a light way. That was a very nice way of putting it because clearly there was uh, under the table there was a promise from Flip San- Flip Saunders. Wait, is it uh, is it Sanders he- or Saunders? Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! I hate you. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Clearly under the table, there was a deal with Colonel Sanders. Uh, sorry, what was oh. that? Uh, anyway, uh, so Flip Saunders was trying to get KG back to the Wolves for his for his last couple seasons, and Kevin decided to waive his no trade clause because evidently Flip promised to give him part of the team uh, eventually mm-hmm. to bring him in as part of the ownership group. And KG was like, cool, dope. I love I love Minneapolis. I love you, Flip. Let's go. And he came back, and unfortunately, Flip passed away that next yep. season. 
Um, and KG was devastated, absolutely devastated. The whole state of Minnesota was devastated if you were a basketball fan. But evidently, the love was between Glenn Taylor and Kevin Garnett was completely lost right between those two seasons and uh and he said yeah after that i realized how fake glenn taylor was blah 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 but the real the real question is is can you promise ownership in a trade can you promise ownership in a nba contract no, no absolutely no. not you can't promise any of those things so like if any of those things were like even hinted under the table they might not have even been discussed between flip and glenn taylor to yeah. begin with so like just I'm just trying to defend Glenn Taylor a little bit here because I, I, I while I do understand that Glenn Taylor has some shaky business dealings, I guess uh, I guess supposedly Kevin McHale is suing this year uh, Glenn Taylor for some kind of health group that they were a yep. part of that health company that they were they were yep. a part of that um, somebody posted on Twitter some this was an unknown Twitter personality that was posting this but. Yes, Glenn Taylor has maybe had some not great business dealings, but I just wanted to defend him for a second because he did keep the Timberwolves in Minneapolis, and they were going to leave in the mid-'90s, and he he swooped in and, and kept them from leaving. Look, he may have saved the Timberwolves 20, 25 years ago, whatever. Like, the dude runs terrible business. He got fu- He got suspended by the league in 2000 because he tried to sign joe smith to a contract on the side not a part of the salary cap just like he like said like oh you're gonna get paid this much but actually i'm gonna pay you this much and we'll just break our books he got suspended by the league for that he did the the fucking handshake agreement with andrew wiggins for the max contract are you kidding me like (laughs) well that was just stupid that there that wasn't bad business i mean that wasn't like that was dumb business but it wasn't like evil <laughs> it's not illegal business but it's bad business <laughs> he hired david Kahn, dude yeah i mean his, his career with the wolves has been plagued with horrible horrible decisions and i imagine that if we were to do some sort of a gm rankings or owner rankings excuse me he would be quite near the bottom if not at the bottom no he wouldn't be below james dolan no way would yeah. he be below James James Dolan. And the other thing yeah. is the other thing that I wanted that I want to say is I do really think that he is giving up a lot of the day to day stuff to people who are a little bit more capable, like Ethan Casson and the whole hiring team and behind uh, getting Gerson Rosas to the Timberwolves. I I think that that process worked out so much better than any other Timberwolves hiring process in the history of the of the franchise, and so hopefully there he's turning a leaf in terms of that kind of thing. And you know he's an older guy, so maybe he's trying to right a lot of wrongs, and and re, maybe he's realizing that he's not the greatest operational uh, basketball owner. <laughs> it's really unfortunate that we can't get Kevin Garnett's jersey retired. Just sell the team to Kevin. Just sell the team to him. He's not rich enough. That's the... <laughs> no, I know Kate. I know <laughs> Kevin is going to have to put some people together. But yeah, there will be a group that he could put together easily. Yeah, you know, I, sell, I, I hope sell so. The team to Dude, him guys. and they Sandler. <gasps> if they, if if him and Adam Sandler are the base of the group, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh my God! And they were just in the the uh, Righteous Gemstones together. Uncut gems. Uncut. That's gemstones. funny. That's a funny. That's a funny <laughs> mix up. I like that. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we uh, appreciate it. Shouts out 
to everyone? Unfortunately, there are more Timberwolves that we have to go through, and they're going to get even worse as we go down the list somehow. Yeah, you're wondering, where's the Trell Sprewell? Where's Stefan Marbury? Where's Trenton Hassel? Where's J.R. Ryder? Well, you got to listen to the next episode to find out. So uh, if you like this, please don't forget to rate and review. Subscribe, please. Um, download it if you subscribe. Sometimes Emily actually just let me know that her phone kept filling up with... Uh, Storage kept running out because she kept on downloading all of the episodes. Yeah, automatically. <laughs> yeah, all of only coast to coast NBA episodes, though. Is that okay? We will waste your phone storage. Uh, That's what we can do for you. Let us let us waste your phone storage. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, follow us on Twitter at coast to coast NBA. Um, on Instagram at coast to coast NBA pod. Send us an email if you hate our list. If you are like. Stefan Marbury is the greatest Timberwolf of all time. You guys are idiots. Send us an email. Tony B. At Coast you know to what Coast. You did. NBA pod at gmail.com. Share it with your friends. Uh, do all the stuff. You know what to do with a podcast. I, you, if you're listening to this, you probably listen to podcasts all goddamn day. So you know exactly what you should do. Be a good person. Okay? And and once again. Because <laughs> only evil people don't review our podcast. <laughs> Once again, I just want to remind everybody to stay inside. It's so serious. It's so serious. If you don't have to leave your house, don't do it. All right? This is not... We are, we are beating this thing finally now that we're taking it seriously. Let's not not take it seriously now. Yeah. Come on, guys. Stay inside. All right? Stay at home and save lives. We love you. We love you more if you review. All right. So long. <laughs>